Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Five Oaks. My name is John Eiselt. I serve as our family and discipleship pastor. And if you're new with us this morning, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. We are in a series called Bless. And uh, this morning, we're going to take another step in this moving our way through this BLESS acronym to look at one of the S's in BLESS, and that is to serve in love and looking at how we serve the people around us and how we, how we do that as a part of, of what God's mission to the world is. It's a, we're going to look at an inspiring story of service. We're going to look at a battle between three kingdoms and ultimately a God with an unstoppable mission towards you and, and me and the rest of the world, that he's, he's coming after us to invite us in to his mission. So let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in here together this morning. Heavenly Father, you are faithful and loving. By the power of your Holy Spirit, guide us as we look to your word, show us your ways, and help us to follow you. Teach us to be a reflection of who you are. We pray for our country this week, or we pray that for a peaceful election. We pray that you would implore us and employ us to be sowers of peace and sowers of unity during a time in our country that is so divisive. We pray for your spirit to be upon our hearts this week and upon our country as well. Open our hearts to your work in us and around us and lead us to love like you love for your glory and kingdom. Amen. So this summer, our neighbors were at their, at their lake cabin, and they had some extended family from out of town visiting, and they were planning to stay up there for like, you know, an, entire, an entire week. And over the course of, of the week there, uh, as they were water skiing and doing lots of different water sports, uh, one, of, one of the guys was in the lake right off the edge of the dock, uh, ready to, to jump in and water ski, and his wedding ring came off of his finger and dropped into the lake. Now, if anyone has ever dropped something that doesn't float into a lake, you know of the immediate visceral reaction that says, well, that's gone. Because it's true. It sinks into this dark, murky abyss, and you can feel in your feet that the sand on the bottom of the lake is not the type of sand that you can find something in. It, like, it swallows it up, and it like, eats it, and, it's, and you just know that, that it's gone. But it was his wedding ring, and he was on vacation. And so what did they do? Well, they did what most of us would do, and they turned to none other than Dr. Google, right? So they look up on Dr. Google or Mr. Google, whatever you want to call it, and I call it Dr. Google because we always Google all of our medical symptoms, and Dr. Google's not always a great doctor, but anyway. Uh, but anyway, so they look up on Google. Uh, they start texting things like, well, maybe we could get a metal detector. Well, can we buy a metal detector, and would it arrive, you know, in the time that we're going to be here at the, at the cabin this week? Uh, or maybe we could rent a metal detector. And so they start Googling renting a metal detector. And it led them to a website, and this is a real thing, called theringfinders.com. It's a real thing. And they specialize in finding lost wedding rings. What a time to be alive. Are you, I mean, right? I mean, so they're like, there's no way that this is a real thing. And so they, 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 they call the first number that they see, and it's some guy down in Madison, Wisconsin, and they're up in the Brainerd Lakes area, and they're like, hey, so we saw your number on the, on the ring finder. He's like, oh, yeah, did you lose a ring? And he's just instantly ecstatic, you know, and he's just ready to jump in and help. And so they're like, well, yeah, I mean, it just felt, we know exactly where it is. It's right at the edge of our dock. And, and he's like, well, yeah. And they're like, so how does this, how does this work? And he's like, well, there's a whole network of people in, in the ring finder's network. It's like the, apparently it's like the Uber of, of finding a wedding ring. And so 
So they start talking to him, and he's like, yeah, you know, there's guys all over the place that'll come with a metal detector. Some of them even have scuba gear to come and find a wedding ring in a lake. And so they're like, well, where are you? He's like, well, I'm down in Madison. There's, I'm sure that there's somebody closer to you, but if you can't find anybody, you call me back, and I will come and find your ring. He's like eight hours away in Madison, Wisconsin. And so, so anyway, they look on the network a little bit more, and they find somebody in the Twin Cities area. He's still three and a half hours away, and they call him and explain the situation. And, and he's like, and he says, yeah, well, you know, I got to let me put a couple things away and grab my gear. I'll be on the road in 20 minutes. I'll be there before dinner. What? Are you kidding me? So they're like, there's no way. And so they'd also talked like, well, how much is this going to cost? And the first guy said, well, there's a $25 flat fee. $25? And so he's like, well, but, you know, depending on the, on the value of the item that's found, it's customary to leave a, a, a fairly sizable tip. So if you're talking about a, a wedding ring that's hundreds or thousands of dollars, your tip is probably going to be in the maybe 100 or more. And so like, okay, well, it's still cheaper than buying a new ring, and it's, our, it's my wedding ring. So they're like, we don't know if this guy's actually going to show up. I mean, can this really be a real thing? And sure enough, about a few hours later, in polls, their hero, Paul Nolan is his name, and he gets out of his truck, and here he is. So they're sitting on the dock, and he just goes to work. He puts his headset on. He's like, what kind of ring was it? And they said it's a platinum wedding ring. So he dials in whatever metal is in platinum. He, he, he dials it in, and he starts listening, and he's got this little scooper. And every time he would get a hit, he would sc- scoop down and kind of scoop it up, and no ring. And so finally, he, he, he actually he finds the ring in 19 minutes. Right? Yes! It's amazing. So, so here they are. This is his website. That's the, is that speak Northern Minnesota vacation or what? <laughs> Everybody's happy again. And this is, the, this is the post on his website. A family vacation in Northern Minnesota certainly could have been dampened when a, when, when a wedding ring slipped off a finger into a lake. But with the help of ring finder Paul Nolan, this vacation was quickly put back into enjoyment mode once again. Found in 19 minutes. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And so why am I telling you this? Well, first of all, it's just a pretty incredible story. Second of all, this is the type of of service that is so, when we see something like this happen, we're like, wow, that is amazing. And when we talk about what it means for us as followers of Christ to, to serve in love, it's something like this. Not necessarily, I'm not saying go out and buy a metal detector and scuba gear and start finding people's rings, but this guy was willing to drop anything because he knew the, 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 the situation that they were in. Yeah, they could have bought a new ring. But there's a lot of sentimental value there. And he got that. He understood that. And he was willing to drop whatever he was doing to come and help them. And he showed up without a doubt in his mind that he was going to help. They told him kind of where he was going in the lake. But he said, oh, I'm going to find it. They're like, really? Are you sure? He's like, I'm positive. He's like, just give me a few minutes. And he, into the lake he went. So we are to live lives on the lookout for ways to love and serve. And we are in this way to reenact the way that Jesus lived with our very own lives. One of the most powerful ways that we can bless someone is to point them to God and to his grace in Christ. But many times we hold back because the timing doesn't feel right or we don't know where to start. Sharing Christ feels forced, or we don't feel like we've earned the, the relational credibility, and so it feels like, a, like we're trying to convince somebody of like a pyramid scheme or something. And sometimes years can go by in a relationship, we've grown, grown close enough with someone to share our faith, but for some reason we never, we never share our faith. 
our paths go in different directions, and we feel this sense of, of loss that maybe we missed an opportunity for us to, to tell them about God's love. And we maybe even missed a blessing that comes for us that was arranged by God. This whole series is focused on answering this crucial question. Can we learn how to share our faith in a way that's natural and relational and more effective so that we can help people who are far from God find their way back to God? What if you could learn a way to share your faith where the timing feels right, the beginning point makes sense, it doesn't feel forced, you've earned the relational credibility, and what you share is appreciated by the other person. The key to sharing our faith in a way that is like this, a natural, relational, and more effective, is found in this word, bless. The bless strategy for helping people find their way, to God, way back to God is not something that we just kind of came up with. It's ancient. It goes back to the call of Abraham, and we see it modeled out by Jesus throughout his ministry while he was here on earth. Henry laid this out in the first sermon in this series, and so when we asked, can we learn how to share our faith so that we can help people far from God find their way back to God. The answer is a resounding, yes, we can. We learn it from the story of God, and this series shows us how. Bless is a five-part missional strategy, and, it, it, and then there's a word that corresponds to each and every letter in the word bless. And so the first is B, to begin with prayer. And beginning with prayer means exactly that, that we, that we pray about the people in our lives, about the places that we spend each and every day. I have to admit that this is the one that I struggle with the most. I, I, I'm, I'm always thinking about how I might be able to talk with someone about their faith. I'm always thinking about ways to, to serve. Or, you know, but, but I get to the end of a day and I realize I didn't ask God for a moment to be with me when I did this. I took it on myself. And so if you find yourself frustrated or even a little uncomfortable about how is this going to work, we begin with prayer. Because we begin by drawing close to God and then God will draw us close to other people. We listen with care. That's the L. And when we listen with care, it, it means that we, that we actually listen. And so, sometimes one of the, the biggest stumbling blocks to sharing our faith is thinking that we've got to have this like, great opening line, this sales pitch like we're in front of the shark tank and we're just trying to, trying to get somebody to buy our business. And sometimes the best way to begin sharing our faith is by asking questions. Especially right now in the climate of our world with COVID and so many other things. It doesn't take long to listen long enough to hear someone's pain. So when we listen, we have the opportunity to ask questions that open up conversation for us to, to share life and, and, and hear a little bit more about their story first. Eat together is the E. And, that, and this just means that we're sharing our life with someone. So this might be around food, which is a little complicated right now. It might be that you walk dogs together or that you walk together or that you, you go to the playground and let your kids play together. Whatever it might be, the, the point is here is that you're spending you're spending time together in the same place at the same time, just allowing there to be room for conversation and getting to know one another and, and, and just having a shared interest, maybe a shared meal or a shared activity. And the S is serve in love. Serving in love activates our faith and it mobilizes God's mission to the world. And we see this in Jesus and in his ministry. And here is the scripture reading that we're going to Get that from today. The reading for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, and is coming to you from the Apostles' Table here at the University of Northwestern campus. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and they had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So in, in what would have been a very strange moment for the disciples, Jesus reveals the one true kingdom to them. And there are two other kingdoms that are at war with our hearts. And so this is the battle of the three, of the three kingdoms. The first kingdom is the kingdom of this world. In the, in the kingdom of this world, the goal is to accumulate and insulate. That, that, there, that we recognize that around us there's this, there's this innate desire to just to get stuff and, and to kind of either prove our achievement or prove our worth or our success or whatever. But it is, it is a part of our humanity to just kind of gather things together and to assign worth to those things. And the second part of that is to insulate. That if we look deep into our hearts, we, have to, we can recognize that we are all trying to insulate ourselves from other people. And particularly in this season, it's an insulation from people that aren't like us. That they don't look like us, they don't talk like us, they don't, they don't do the same job that we do, they don't vote the way we do, whatever it is. We're trying to insulate ourselves from anything that might be contrary to, to what we are trying to accomplish. And there is nothing like that found in the scripture in the life of Christ. The second kingdom is, is, is like that. It's, a, it's our own kingdom where we are in charge and we do as we see fit. If there is a recipe for disaster in the world, this is it. Everyone doing as they see fit. And we can look back to see what happened when this has happened in the past. In the, in the book of Judges, it, it, it tells us the story of what the kingdom of Israel looked like during a time when they didn't have a king. And everybody did what they saw was as they saw fit, as they thought was right. It was a disaster. And in this kingdom, prideful and selfish hearts are the rulers of this kingdom. But our true citizenship is found in the kingdom of God. This is the upside-down kingdom that Jesus is revealing to his disciples. Jesus has talked about this over and over and over again, and now he's doing what Jesus does best. He's showing them what this looks like. And the gospel writer John captures not only this moment, but this, his whole gospel is a telling of how Jesus' life has been underscored by these types of actions as, as, as a man who was also God, you know, a, a, a human, with, uh, sorry, a, a God, a, a divine being, God with flesh on. And here is the Bible Project video to tell us a little bit more about the gospel of John. The gospel according to John. In the first video, we saw that John wrote this book to make the claim that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the human embodiment of God's Word and glorious presence who has come to reveal who God truly is. Then we explored how John designed the first half of the book to demonstrate this claim. Jesus performed miraculous signs and made huge claims about himself, that he is the reality to which Israel's entire history points. And this all generates controversy, however, and the Jewish leaders confront Jesus for all these claims, and it culminated with Jesus laying down his life for his friend Lazarus. By going near Jerusalem to raise him from the dead, Jesus sealed his fate. 
And so once the plot to murder Jesus is set in motion, we come into the book's second half. The first part focuses entirely on Jesus' final night and last words to the disciples as he tries to prepare them for his coming death. Jesus performs this shocking act at dinner. He takes on the role of a common servant by kneeling down to wash their dirty feet, something that in their culture a superior rabbi would never do for his disciples. And Jesus says it's a symbol of his entire life purpose to reveal the true nature of God as a being of self-giving love. And it's also a symbol of what Jesus is about to do in becoming a servant and giving up his life to die for the sins of the world. And so this act leads to his great command to his disciples that they are to follow him by loving one another as he has loved them. Acts of loving generosity are to be the hallmark of Jesus' followers. This is what will show the world who Jesus is and therefore who God is. Now from here, Jesus goes into a long flowing speech that's concluded with a prayer. And you'll find the whole thing is unified by a few repeated themes. Jesus keeps saying that he's going away, which makes the disciples sad. But Jesus says it's for the best because it means that he will send the Spirit, also known as the Advocate. As a human, Jesus can only be in one place at a time, but the Spirit can be Jesus' divine personal presence in any place at any time. And the Spirit will do a number of things, Jesus says. So remember, for John, the unique deity of the one God consists of that loving, unified relationship between the Father and the Son. Jesus says the Spirit is that loving, personal presence that will come to live in his people and draw them into the love between the Father and the Son. And so, Jesus says, his disciples are the ones who abide or remain in that divine love, the way that branches are connected to a vine. He's describing here how the personal love of God can permeate a person's life, healing, transforming, and making them new. And there's more. The Spirit will also empower Jesus' followers to carry on his mission in the world. To first of all, fulfill the great command to love others through radical acts of service. But also, Jesus says, the mission is to bear witness to the truth to expose and name the selfish, sinful ways that we as humans treat each other, and to declare that in Jesus, God has saved the world through him because he loves it. He's opened up a new way to become human again. He's opened up a new way to become human again. So in this final act, uh, this is a continuation of what Jesus has been doing all along. And it's to reveal God's nature as a being of self-giving love. To reveal God's nature as a being of self-giving love. Jesus showed us in this way how to live as citizens of the heavenly kingdom here on earth. And this is not for us to do on our own. The the Spirit will empower Jesus' followers to carry on this mission. And so that is part of where that that, the, the B, begin with prayer, comes from is recognizing that, that, that God's spirit is the one that will enact and, and empower us to live in the way that, that we are to live. When we serve, we bless the world around us by bearing witness to the truth of a God who loves. The Bless campaign is about just that, about a pivotal moment in the life of our church where we are going to double down on what it looks like to reach our community and to do so actively as families, as neighbors, as coworkers, as classmates, as teammates, and so on and so on. When we put our belief into action, anything is possible. My brother and I used to believe that M&Ms had special powers. 
And we, we got this, this idea from none other than a commercial about M&Ms that aired in 1985. And thanks to the power of the internet, I can show you this commercial. Your batting average is totally awesome. What's your secret? M&M. I had singles when I ate the brown ones, doubles with the yellows, orange, triples. And with the green ones, I take the ball downtown. Magnificent. Kevin, you're up. Quick, give me a green one. Only one homer left. That's for me. Here's a triple. M&M's chocolate candies. The milk chocolate melts in your mouth, not in your hands. I first saw that commercial when I was probably six or seven. And after seeing it, my brother and I were convinced that it must be true, and we put it into practice immediately. We would store up our green M&Ms and then bring them with us to play wiffle ball in our yard. And we would pop a green M&M right before we would swing. And much to our surprise, it worked. Well, some of the time. And when it didn't work, we just figured it must have been a dud green M&M. The point here really has nothing to do with M&Ms. It's about what happens when we activate our belief in something. Serving to bless the world around us is how we activate our faith. Much different than a belief in M&Ms, the power of our serving and faith comes not just from our belief on its own, but from the power of the Holy Spirit working through our belief and actions. Our small group has started a new rhythm this year where we meet all together once a month. And then on the off weeks, we take turns with the men getting together one week and the women getting together the next week. Now, one of the nights when the guys were together, we were sitting around a campfire, you know, burning stuff. And we were talking about how we could have a better presence in our homes. How we could love our wives better. How we could love and serve our wives and kids better. And how we could teach and pass on our faith to our kids more intentionally. And we recognize that sometimes faith doesn't seem to stick like some of the other things in their lives. For example, with sports, there's this adrenaline that seems to drive them. And you know, another example is Eden, our daughter, loves to ride horses. And, and there's this connection to a real live living animal and an active experience when she's riding. Kids and students need the same in their faith, just like me and you. But most of us struggle to know what types of things we can do that take their learning from passive to active. Well, serving is that thing. If we consider how often we teach our kids about God somewhat passively, it would be like telling them everything there is to know about the game of baseball or about riding a horse without ever actually getting them in the game or in a saddle. We know that our faith has to be lived out and that most of Christianity and following Christ is taught by doing. Just look at how Jesus did it. He was constantly sharing truth with his disciples about the kingdom he was bringing to earth. Most of the time they were totally confused until he put them in a situation in which they could experience firsthand the power and presence of God. And that's what's happening in this final, this final scene as well. He's showing them what his love is like and what their love should be like. We recognize that, that when, we, when we serve to bless the world around us, it's like us getting in the game. Jesus put his disciples in the game by doing that. And we can get ourselves and our kids and students into the game as well. Serving is getting ourselves in the game. So serving in love is revealing who God is. It connects us to others, and it, it's the means by which we can experience the tangible power and presence of God. And it's the means by which we activate the, the things that we're teaching our kids about. It's the way that we activate the things that we know to be true. 
for our kids and students, it puts them in a position to not just believe because of our words, but to believe because they have seen and felt the power of the living God at work through their own hands and feet. The power of God through our own hands and feet leads to the type of life that is a blessing to those around us, and it's a blessing to us as well. restorers of streets and, and, and when I think about what God's trying to do in in our world his mission is is as a restorer to restore our hearts and, and to restore streets that can be dwelled in we live in a very difficult time an unprecedented season and that's a word that we've used more in the last nine months than probably any time before in our lives we are blessed to be a blessing and as we live out our call to be a blessing, it will return to us as a blessed and abundantly joyful life. So how do we do this in the middle of a pandemic? Well, we follow the bless missional strategy. We begin with prayer. We begin by praying for the season that we find our world in. And we say things to God like, God, how on earth am I going to find a way to, to tell people about you? Show me. We turn to the people that are closest to us. Maybe that's in your own home. Maybe that's where you start. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's over a Zoom call, whatever work looks like for you right now. Maybe it's a classmate or a teammate. Maybe it's someone at a grocery store. What we begin with prayer, we listen with care. We listen for pain. We listen for people telling us about their story. 
And then we, we find creative ways to share our lives, to go on walks, to, to, to get our kids together, to play together, to do something that certainly keeps us within the confines of whatever we feel like is safest during this time. But we find a way to share our lives. And then we serve in love. And when we think of, of, of serving like this, the question that we should ask is, what am I doing with my life that will outlive me? What am I doing with my life that will outlive me? We've used this metaphor of, of planting a tree as a part of the blessed campaign that we're on. And what tree are you planting that will change the landscape of humanity for generations to come? Because the one thing we know about these three kingdom, kingdoms is that two of them will pass away. Only one of these kingdoms is the everlasting kingdom. And that is the kingdom of which we find our true citizenship. When we think about what it looks like for us to, to put something in the ground that's going to outlive us, we might think too large at first. I was at a conference one time, and Andy Stanley said this. He said, he's a lead pastor of North Point Church in Georgia. He said, he said don't look past the power of parenting. Because the most important and impactful thing that you do in your life might not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. We have put together this impact passport as a part of the BLESS campaign to empower you and your families to find ways to serve with some of our, our partners. You might serve a neighbor or a coworker, or you might serve here. I want to share with you that this isn't an average, but but our, we, who would have thought that our student ministry would have been the, the ministry in our church that would have come roaring back to, to larger than it was before the pandemic? On Wednesday nights, right now, in this building, we have over 120 middle school and high school students. And 20 to 30 leaders who come and lead their small groups and hear their stories and, and help them connect to God. And the students are bringing their friends. And this is what the Bless Campaign is all about. As a, as a ministry team, we've been thinking about how we can serve the families in our community during this incredibly difficult, stressful, and anxious time. Well, next Monday on November 9th, we are, we're putting together a, a parenting event for our community called Parenting Through Stress and Anxiety. It's for all ages, and anybody who has any contact with kids or families should come. You can come in person. You can watch it online. It's from 730 to 830, and we have a psychologist from our area here who's going to join us and walk us through how we can journey with our own families and the families around us. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to invite a neighbor that you know is struggling or someone that you've already been listening to. As we continue our, our, our worship here this morning, as we move into responding, we stop and we think about all the things that are in our hearts and our heads right now, and we come back to the reality that this is not for you to do on your own. If we leave here today with this high call to go out and change the world, but yet we don't start with the B to begin with prayer, we're doing so in vain because some of what God is up to is, in, is, is chasing after our hearts as he engaged us in his mission. And as we turn to a time of communion, this is exactly what, what, what responding through communion does for us. It helps us to, to celebrate the act by which connects us to God in a, in a transcendent way. It connects us to God because it's the moment when Jesus goes to the cross and, and defeats death. He dies and raises again so that he can send his Holy Spirit to us so that, it, that God's power is not locked into wherever Jesus' body is. It is where, wherever his followers are. And that's me and you. And so as we, as we prepare for communion, you can go, out and go ahead and take your communion cup.
as you take the wafer, remember that Jesus' body was broken for you. And as you drink the juice, remember that his blood was shed for you. Let's pray together. God, we invite you to be with us now as we respond to your message that invites us to be a part of what you're doing in our world. And God, help us to stop in our tracks and remember that you first met us and told us who you were. In some way, in some fashion, by the power of your Holy Spirit, your message came to our hearts through another person. And God, you have connected us to your mission. You have connected us to who you are. And you have shown us what loving acts of service look like. You've shown us who you are as a God. And so as we receive communion and remember what you did that unites you with us, we praise you and we thank you. As we go uh, from here today, would you just begin now as we worship you, preparing us to go in your spirit. And so God, be with us now as we respond in worship to you. Amen.